0: Everyone, You're listening to Intersections in Public Service, the Weldon Cooper Center's podcast created by UVA students and staff that takes a look at pressing issues in our community, how public servants address them, and what you can do to help. I'm your host, Claire Downey, and in this episode, I will be talking with Alex Moreno, a current UVA student who has a mind for policymaking and a passion for mental health education. So just some background, Alex and two other students named Chitsu Tenzin and Lucas Johnson went through the Sorensen High School Leaders Program in the summer of 2017. They took what they learned in the program and drafted legislation while still in high school and got the bill passed through the Virginia Senate. Thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited to interview you and talk about the HSLP program and how you ended up getting a bill passed. So would you mind introducing yourself and telling me a little bit about like what you're up to now?
1: Yeah, sure. My name is Alexander Moreno. I'm a second year at the University of Virginia. Um, I'm aiming to do the Political, Philosophy, Policy, and Law major, and I want to go to law school uh, when the time comes.
0: I guess just to start out, I just wanted to know, what does HSLP stand for, and what is HSLP in the first place?
1: Yeah, so HSLP stands for the High School Leaders Program that the Sorensen Institute here, um, re- related to the University of Virginia, puts on for high school students who are looking to and get involved with Virginia politics and to learn the basics and how to write policy.
0: We are talking about the Sorensen Institute for Political Leadership, which is a bipartisan leadership program that's mission is to strengthen and enhance the quality of government at all levels throughout Virginia. They also have programs to train high school students, emerging political leaders, and candidates actually running for political office. So basically they have something for everyone. Sorensen prides themselves on creating political discourse that rises above partisanship and personal bias, which seems like a steep task to take on, but this is something that they specialize in. And they give students a foundation to learn about the issues from the ground up by valuing facts first in order to better problem solve and not be clouded by personal bias.
1: Um, And so what it'll do is it'll kind of give you more of like a behind-the-scenes look at the political climate here in Virginia, and also the history of politics here in Virginia. The HSLP program really helps you get a better understanding of what things are like here, um, what Virginia voters care about, um, shifting demographics, and it also get in and they'll bring in speakers so you can get a more holistic look at all of Virginia, at the whole Commonwealth. Um, we had a m- group of students who were from all over Virginia, from Nova to the Eastern Shore, and we even had some Southwest Virginia um, individuals who joined us, and it was really cool seeing how much, how different it is across the Commonwealth. Like, it's the geographic differences and the socioeconomic differences like are prevalent, and you really can see what people care about across the Commonwealth through this program. And we had a long term policy project that we were tasked to write um, in a certain area that was assigned to us. I was in the healthcare field with Chitsu. And that's actually where um, I brought forward the idea of mental health uh, education for high school students. So we all worked together on the policy, together um, of course, and so that's how I got to know Chitsu uh, in particular. And then Lucas was in a different group, but um, Lucas and Chitsu are my two co-founders to our organization, um, the Coalition for the Common Good. Um, they're from Charlottesville. Um, Lucas went to Monticello High School, and Chitsu went to Albemarle High School, and they're two of my best friends. And so um I we all did the Sorensen program together um during the summer of twenty seventeen after the program ended when we realized that we had a good idea, but that it needed more work and more fleshing out and it needed to get sponsors, of course. Um we were more than happy. I think I actually talked to Lucas first about like getting that like getting that going and he and I set the ball rolling and Chitsu joined in like very shortly after. So
0: that's awesome. So could you tell me about how you found out about the program?
1: I had told my family that I wanted to do something related to policy um, because I knew I was already looking at like mental health awareness and how to continue to improve mental health awareness and I think my aunt actually found the program for me just I think she was just searching for it online and it just kind of popped up as something that was local for me first off it was here at the University of Virginia and then a really reputable uh, program. So she um, sent me the information and uh, helped me fill out my application for that.
0: What was it like when you started the program? Like, what were your expectations? And then what was the actual program like?
1: So for me, I can get pretty competitive um, with, with these type of things. Um, I knew I was gonna be surrounded by really smart and really driven people. Um, so when I came into the program, for me it was really about like establishing myself and who I am, and making sure that I was gonna be able to put my best my best foot forward. Um, and honestly, a lot of that was proven true. Like everybody who was who was in the program was really smart, really involved, and just very interested in what was going on at the program. So I think that Sorensen did exceed my expectations in the fact that like the concrete analysis of how to write policy was really powerful, I'd say. Um, I did not expect to get that much um, down-to-earth, almost, information about the policy writing process. Um, but I'd say that I definitely did expect it to be da- challenging, and it definitely was.
0: So how did you all decide what to draft a bill on in your class?
1: Okay, so this is actually the really hard part, because the, the field that you're given is so general mm-hmm. that it can be difficult to kind of zone in. Um, because of my experience the past summer, um, where two of my friends, um, unfortunately passed away due to suicide, um, for me, I knew I wanted to do something about teen mental health, and that was like a good way to narrow it down. Really, like policy is not supposed to change everything. Like you can't change the entirety of mental health environment off of one policy. That's what they always told us is you can't change this entire area with one policy. It's just too broad. And, you know, I think a lot of us actually do think in that way. Like, what can I do to make this better? And I think of mental health. Right. Right. That's just the way that you kind of look at a problem. And for us, I mean, we, we ended up using the suicide numbers for our problem statement. But I mean, it's really just like teen mental health and the lack of awareness and stigma surrounding it, lack of education. Like, but even in that, you could take any single one of those and make tons of policies that go... Um, that would, that would address them. So really focusing in on one or maybe two that are really helpful. That's what, cause you just get lost. You just get right. lost in what we can do to make things better. So
0: lost in the sauce
1: pretty much, but I will say it is pretty hard to find a concrete solution for the problem that you want to address. Um, Sorensen did help with that. So one thing that you that I always tell anybody who I'm talking to who is interested in like solving problems is they first made us define concretely what the problem we were trying to address was. And it couldn't just be stigma around teen mental health. It had to be way more specific than that. It had to be very focused because you can't write a policy solution that's that's vague. It's just not gonna work, especially when you're starting out. So that did help and then from when we found our problem which I think was like I think we picked you can pick a statistic sometimes too if you look at like troubling statistics so I think we went with that like suicides the second leading cause of death for um, people aged 12 to 17 so
0: wow really yeah.
1: mm-hmm. I know that was what it was it might have fallen to third in 2019 I'm not certain. It's either second or third that I do know, but it's a huge problem. And, you know, the more research you do into it, the more distressing it becomes because you can see that like, shoot, what are the other, some of the other things that are really crazy? Like one out of five students have a diagnosable mental illness. Um, and At what
0: age? Like before what age?
1: That's before the age. So 50% of those develop before the age. Okay. Let me not, let me make sure I get these right. So. That is for anybody who's under the age of 18. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like 12 to 17 in particular is really the main age that's looked at here. And that's from NAMI, I'm pretty sure.
0: Side note, NAMI is an acronym for National Alliance of Mental Illness, and it is the largest grassroots mental health organization in America. And it does a ton of work on education and public policy. They also have a a toll-free helpline for people in crisis. So... If you're interested in finding out more about them, you can find them at NAMI.org, which is N-A-M-I dot org.
1: Um, and then I think it's 50% of, diagnosed women, like, of mental illnesses are diagnosed before the age of 18 as well. So a lot of these issues really do, a lot of these mental illnesses really do start to develop when you're young. Um, and so when we're looking at these type of really troubling statistics, um, that's what we kind of set as our problem. And it's just about like reducing stigma, increasing resources in order to try to lower, these, lower the numbers and help students kind of connect with the resources in the community that they need. Um, and so we saw that problem, that's what we kind of focused on and that's what the Sorensen Institute helped us focus on. And then really it was up to us to find the solution.
0: So what specifically was the bill that you ended up proposing in your class? And then was it the same as the one that you ended up taking out to the Virginia Senate or was it different?
1: Yeah. So what we found is we wanted to look at how to reduce stigma. And the way we wanted to do that was by increasing awareness through education. Um, We felt that while awareness campaigns are good and like super important, sometimes you need actual tangible data, and evidence, personal testimony, stuff like that, to really kind of drive these type of points home and make mental health feel the same as when you're learning about your physical health. Um, And so for us, we focused in on high school health classes. Um, We thought we were kind of reminiscing because we're all Virginia students. And so we actually had a pretty decent representative little like, not a survey, but little like um, testing sample for did you learn about mental health in your high school health classes? And we could all remember like bits and pieces of patchwork, kind of maybe like something about suicide prevention or something about uh, drug abuse and how that ties into um, your mental health and stuff like that. But there was no really concrete uniform unit lesson uh, endeavor to to talk about mental health in high school health classes. So we looked at the standards, um, that the Virginia Department of Education set for high school health classes here in Virginia. And we also realized that there are tons of bullet points that um, school districts have to teach about um, as part of the standards of learning for high school health classes. And we went through all those standards for the ninth and tenth grade, and we found that a fraction of them talked or related specifically to mental health. Um, off of that, we decided to create the bill. And what the bill said is that the I think at the program, the bill pretty much said that you have to, like, create a mental health unit um, and then that the standards have to be updated to reflect that unit. So you need to increase the amount of bullet points that are related to mental health and create, like, a section for it, pretty much. Um, that's what we created in in the Sorenson program. And then um, when we came to Senator Craig Deeds, his policy team was incredible because, you know, like, Once again, like we're learning how to write policy, but we're not experts at this point. So they were able to kind of take the idea, realize that we had done the research and that it did actually have merit, and then they kind of translated it into some better policy. Um, And what they said was that the the Virginia Department of Education would have to update and review the standards for ninth and 10th grade health classes. That was really big. Um, and then also that they had to do it in concurrence with mental health organizations, teachers, students, so on and so forth. And so, um, the bills were quite similar, I'd say, frankly, um, they didn't change it very much. I just say that they tailored the language a bit more towards also changing the code of Virginia.
0: Right. So that people in the Senate could read it and understand it and be able to implement it.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the Sorensen program, we really focus on kind of taking a holistic approach to, um, policy so like we would have things like letter to editors for press releases and stuff like that mm-hmm. to try to um, raise awareness about bills to get people to support it like of course that stuff was not going to be included in the um, Senate bill or anything like that so they really trimmed down the big packet that we gave them I think that thing was like 30 pages or something like that just of I, I can't even remember just a whole bunch of at the time very important things but they definitely tailored it down to, Language that was accessible for the Senate to understand and the House, of course.
0: That's amazing. So how did you get into contact with Senator Cree Deeds?
1: So we were doing a lot at this time. My senior year, we did quite yeah, we we did we were putting in a lot of work for mental health endeavors. So we were doing stuff on the state level. Like we wanted to get that bill in particular passed on the state level. But while we were doing that, we also had some bills that we wanted to pass. Well, not really even bills, but just endeavors that we wanted to get passed on the local level. So, on the local level, we had three mental health um, policies that we were presenting to the Albemarle County School Board. And so, and those would have, like, we wanted them to change their budget. Uh, We wanted to make it, like, add mental health counselors. um, They're called student assistant professionals here in Albemarle County um, to all the local high schools. So, We had a whole bunch of policies going on at the local level, and the Richmond liaison for Albemarle County, the individual who was kind of like our contact in Richmond, uh, heard about our work, saw us at the school board meeting, so on and so forth, and put us in contact with Senator Cray Deeds. So it was through him that we were able to make that connection and um, present our work to Senator Deeds.
0: And then once it got in the hands of Cray Deeds, how did he go about helping you all?
1: So once we presented it to Senator Deeds, he pretty much I I'm pretty sure when we were there, he told us that he was going to take it to the Senate, that he was wow. going to sponsor it. So just Like that? Yeah. I it was <laughs> that was a good day. Yeah. That was I I remember yeah. that. I was just sitting there and he's like I like this. You guys put in great work. I'm going to take it. And we couldn't believe it. But um but yeah, no, he he snagged it and then he gave it once again to his policy team. He took it with him to Richmond and then we actually were the ones that worked on getting the sponsors in the house and the co-sponsors. So, when we met with his policy team, we were like, we would love to do more work on this. Like, of course we would. Like Aww. frankly, like it was our idea. Like yeah. we like especially on this one, we wanted to make sure we were doing all that we could to get this bill to pass. So, we would go around these days were retiring. We would go from office to office of people on the um, Senate Education and Health Committee and the House of Delegates Education Committees. But we would go around to the members because they were the ones that were going to vote on it out of committee, of course. Um, and what we had heard from Senator Deeds was if it can pass out of committee with a decent vote, more often than not, it's going to get passed by the by the General Assembly. Like that's just how it works here in Virginia. So we met with I think almost everybody from both of those committees just lobbied, had printouts of the bill. We had our stats. We had our data. Um, Lucas Jitsu and I just took trips to Richmond. We missed school, but it was definitely worth it.
0: So this is a kind of a classic tale of how to make a bill become a law. But instead of watching School of Rock, I'm a bill music video over and over, Alex and his partners went to play hooky from AP Lit to meet with Virginia committee members.
1: (laughs) telling my teachers hi yeah I'm gonna miss your quiz because I'm going to Richmond to lobby on a bill and I dress up in a suit to do it like
0: I feel like that's the best case scenario for especially like a AP government teacher in high school like yeah you're actually doing the things that we're trying to inform my school was so awesome yes
1: no literally my school was so awesome I mean everybody there was rooting for me and for the cause. And, um, I did have to make up most of the work, which was not fun, but <laughs> it's okay. It happens to the best of us.
0: No f- uh, free passes for policymakers here. Oh, I that's, wish. That's too bad.
1: But, um, but yeah, no, so we went to the, we did that. And so we got another, we got a sponsor in the house. So, um, Delegate Landis, no, sorry. Delegate Bell was our sponsor in the house, uh, Delegate Rob Bell. He's from, he's from Charlottesville. Um, he was super awesome his legislative team took a look at the bill um they talked to us and they were more than happy to help and i mean frankly i've kept contact with um all of these senators and delegates who have kind of worked on this legislation with us and um we actually got to then testify in committee uh on the bill so when it ta- came time for the vote to happen um <laughs> senator deeds i was so nervous during this by the way like I can get a little nervous about public speaking, but usually not that bad. Mm -hmm. I was stressed about this. Like We were all in the car on the way up to Richmond to testify on the bill because, I mean, the way that Senator Deeds put it when he was talking to the committee was he said, this is their bill. I'm going to let them explain to you what this bill is. So we had, yeah, that was really cool. We got to just go in front of the committee and we had a copy of the bill and we gave our, we only had three minutes too. That was actually the scariest part was that. We had three minutes to explain the entire bill and do our stories, but we were told we were given five at first. So we're sitting there and we get into the committee room and um, the legislative aide for Senator Deeds is like, all right, you guys are going to have three minutes. And we're sitting there and I feel like the drops of sweat go down the side of my face as I realize that I have to cut my speech and tweak everything and change the timing for everything. Because we had been practicing this since we mm-hmm. heard news that we were going to testify. Um But it all worked out. Um, They were all super receptive. The committee was really great about um, just kind of hearing us and kind of took a multi-pronged approach to it because we wanted to explain the bill to them and what it would do. But then we also included our personal stories as to how this stuff impacts us, which, I mean, I think it did help them realize the amount of passion and effort and time we put into this. Right. Um, And i think the whole room applauded when we were done if i recall
0: (laughs) wow so here you are standing 17 18 17 i
1: think i was what year was this i think i was 17 wow in a room full
0: of senators Mm -hmm. all from virginia Mm -hmm. and you're presenting your work that must have been really intense
1: it was, but thankfully, because Lucas and Chitsu were there, mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad. Because yeah. first off, they're super good friends of mine. Like, we were close back then, of course, and so like supporting one another, and we all want this to succeed. But right. it was also like kind of like the competitive. Like, I'm gonna do a good job because I know he's gonna do a good job, and because she's gonna do a good job.
0: So you didn't come into any like issues being. Under eighteen and trying to get your bill passed at all, or was it just smooth sailing, or not so much?
1: It's a double-edged sword. So you know, like people. I mean, when you're when you're that young, um, you can clearly articulate ish- like problems that you see in the world, right? Like it's not hard. It wasn't hard for me to see the lack of mental health resources in, in my in my community. Um, I think that the thing that really set us apart was the fact that we came with a problem and a solution.
0: Right. Like you're already ready to go. You weren't just like complaining. You're like, here, here's our complaints, but also here's like a really long list. Here's of things something we, we want. can do yeah.
1: to make it better. And I think that that was very powerful. Um, and in fact, for anybody who's looking to deal with the problems that you're facing, like. List out those problems, like make sure you present those problems because they are important, but you should also try to have some solutions because. I think that's the only reason why we're actually taken like as seriously as we were and why the bill passed is because I mean, if I went to Senator Deeds and I said, mental health in high school is an issue, I mean, he's the leading champion on mental health advocacy here in Virginia. Like he is the best at that. He's gonna say, Okay, like, what do you want me to do about it? So I think that when we're when we went into meetings and we put so many hours into crafting like special pamphlets so we would have stuff like the standards We'd have the standards printed out. We'd have the highlighted ones of what are related to mental health. We had the law code printed out. We had our policy, the shortened version of the policy. We had everything printed out, and we would just slap it on their desk. And as they would leaf through it, we would explain what they were looking at and what the policy pr- solution was. For them, I think that was just... It's hard to argue against it at that point because... Yeah. Like, we're in high school. Like, we see these problems firsthand. And especially with Senator Deeds and Delegate Bell behind our back, like, we have a solution that seems to actually make some change. So we didn't have any issue because we came in prepared to, to kind of address the things that maybe traditionally um, somebody our age wouldn't have wouldn't have been ready for. Without that, I doubt it would have been as successful, though. Because frankly, it wasn't the most controversial bill that they were hearing that day, right? So, right. like, mental health is not a partisan issue. That's that's the bottom line.
0: I'm I'm a little surprised about that actually.
1: So here's the caveat I make, right? Is like, mental health in and of itself, like, I mean, like, it affects everyone, right? Like, you go to Southwest Virginia, you go to Nova. The the issues that contribute to mental health like problems in people sometimes can be different. Like my friends in NOVA, for example, they have some extreme academic pressure to perform and outshine everybody. That's very different than maybe the the struggles of Southwest Virginia or mm-hmm. um, even just from Charlottesville. Right. So we actually my group, um, the CCG, we are not partisan. Like we do not try to take sides almost um Mm -hmm. on these type of issues because we understand where people are coming from like there are some cultural issues with individuals who think that mental illness is like a hoax like right that type of cultural surrounding it that that type of culture surrounding it that is really detrimental because like the whole be strong type of mentality doesn't really take into consideration all the nuances and all the aspects of mental health and how that affects people right no matter where you're from or what you believe Mm -hmm. um So that's an issue, but the, I mean, Delegate Bell, like one of our biggest supporters now and for our future policy work, he's, he's a Republican, um, Delegate Landis, who was a co-sponsor to the bill, was a Republican. Of course, Senator Deeds is a Democrat and, um, a whole bunch of people who supported the bill. Like we got unanimous passage, um, funding for mental health endeavors can be partisan Yeah, because, you know, like. That's just how it goes. Virginia has a balanced budget um, and so whenever you're looking at increasing resources for a certain area, you really do have to prove why it's necessary. I actually don't mind the fact that funding is an issue because for me, and this is more personally, is if an endeavor is worth it and I can prove it based on data-driven empirical evidence you can't argue against that. Like if I can prove that there's something that needs to be done here in the Commonwealth that has been done in other places and have improved the, the livelihood and the mental health environment for other people, then more often than not, like it's probably going to be supported for the most part, really mental health is a nonpartisan issue. And I think that when we can continue to keep it that way, um, we get more done. And this is at least for my organization. Like, we got another, the same bill passed in Maine with, with bipartisan support. Um, we're looking at going into states like Kentucky, um, Alaska, Indiana, states with like super majorities that are conservative. And then we have like Massachusetts, a very Democratic. I think it's Democratic. I'm pretty sure that's what my that, friend said. That sounds correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, as long as you are considerate. Of the factors that are going into the certain states, because every state is so different, mm-hmm. then I'm hoping that we can continue to kind of keep, at least from the CCG's perspective, the policy endeavors that we're trying to pursue more nonpartisan than not. So, this upcoming legislative session, um, Lucas, one of my policy po- partners, did pretty much all the work on this. We were, Luke Chitsu and I were in a more supportive role. So, I'm pretty sure it's introduced, I know it's introduced in Alaska. And Indiana, he's trying to get a pass he's trying to get it introduced in Indiana. Um, then there's also Kentucky that it's introduced in. And I think it's either Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, I think it's Pennsylvania. So it's introduced there, like in those four states. We're also looking to get it introduced in Massachusetts. And kind of in Ohio, they don't actually have health classes. Yeah, but
0: wow! Yeah, that okay. We won't touch that, but <laughs> <laughs> Ohio, please change some things. See, um, that's the
1: thing is like every state is so different. Yeah, like, you can't assume a single thing about a state. You have to really get in and talk to the students and talk to the mental health organizations about what's going on and how can we help.
0: Do they not have like gym?
1: <laughs> Lucas, <laughs> here's a little here's a little anecdote, really quick that Lucas is <laughs> gonna love that I'm sharing. So he. <laughs> He went to Ohio, and he was meeting with, like, uh, like a legislator who who was, like, a champion for mental health. Like, apparently, was very big on this stuff. And he goes in, and this is the first meeting, of course, and he says, I want to add mental health education to your high school health classes. And she said, we don't have health classes. Like... It was brutal. I remember he called me about this. And oh I was just sitting there just like, I didn't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> so
0: so you could probably hear my horror. I, <laughs> I wanted to do some research on this. And as it turns out, Ohio does have health classes, thankfully. However, there is a lot of room for quote unquote interpretation in the curriculum. Essentially, there's a lot less standardization, to the health classes which makes it difficult to write policies that would add more standards such as improving mental health education. They do have health classes in Ohio, I want to be clear. However, they are not to the same standardized level as other states. That's why you
1: have to do your research and think about the and like we did our research into these states, like we thought that like they had something on the book, but We Mm -mm. just—you can just—it's just so crazy how each state is. Each state is so specific.
0: Yeah. So, how do you feel like mental health education could be improved outside of what you've already been pushing for? And this could be for anything, like outside Mm -hmm. of policy.
1: So, it's good that it's getting to students here in Virginia. Like that's like that's solid, and um, I'm excited for students to have the opportunity to learn about mental health and kind of more of the kind of like what is depression like what are the chemical imbalances that can go on in your brain and stuff like that really getting that kind of empirical evidence behind why mental illness is a thing Um, I think that over time mental health and education will continue to improve but I will say that one thing that could expedite it is if more individuals who are out of the education education system took it upon themselves to do programs or seminars there's a lot of online modules and stuff like that Uh, mental health first aid is a great example of an in-person class where you can kind of learn about exactly like some of the some of the um, some of the warning signs of mental illness and how to talk to somebody who might be going through a difficult time um, how to get them the proper resources so I would like if I think that that would really speed things up is if you can get more people just to kind of sit down and say what is my mental health like because, you know, I can throw this term around and I've been throwing it around this entire podcast, right? Like, oh, we have to improve the mental health environment and have to improve mental health resources. But, like, when you get down and you sit down and you can kind of actually, like, say, not, like, the definition of mental health, but, like, what goes into that? Like, the amount of aspects and the link of with physical health, the link with emotional health. Like, all that stuff ties into it.
0: Like, more of, like, a cultural awareness outside of just the school system?
1: Yeah, I mean... Because, see, mental health is such... See, I'm, I found myself catching myself because when it comes to mental health, it's such a nuanced issue because, like, you want there to be more awareness of it, right? But it's also sometimes a very private thing for a lot of people. Right. Um, you know, some people very, feel very comfortable talking about their mental health and some people do not. Um, so when I'm talking about a cultural shift, I do think that there still needs to be a cultural shift in the direction of just kind of more understanding of what it is because I think that if you have that baseline then you'll understand if people want to keep it private or the people who want to go public with what's going on in their life. Um, But I think you are right. I think that starting with the cultural shift to just kind of a baseline understanding of what it is and what it entails would be really beneficial for the rest of the stuff that we're doing.
0: Could you speak on how Sorensen kind of laid the bipartisan grounds for you to succeed as a bipartisan group
1: yeah so so sorensen the Sorensen Institute is a nonpartisan organization. They heavily um, focus on that because first off, when you get to the program, you're not supposed to um, bring up your political ideology. it's you're not allowed to talk about it um, so you know some people you can maybe kind of assume or guess but for the most part most individuals you're really not going to know like who they who they back who they're going to vote for this that whatever and so um all the teachers are also um nonpartisan so they will not diss one party or another they're going to just give you the facts as good as they understand them um and because of that, you can kind of understand that even though people can come from different political ideologies and different backgrounds, you can find policy solutions through just conversation and debate and trying to figure out what would be the best for a certain area. Um, I thought that that was actually quite refreshing to not argue things in just a partisan kind of ideology way. Um and to more just argue the merits of a certain policy proposal, right? Because when you think about it, I mean, that's what matters. Like, if you want to get something passed, maybe you do have to take a look at the political ideology of the House or the Senate or whatever.
0: Right, you'd want to, like, appeal to the masses.
1: There is potential for that, but for the most part, like, if you're trying to find a good policy solution, you really shouldn't be touching on partisan politics. Um, And so, the Sorensen Institute had... um, Speakers and guests who were from both parties um, and Different all different walks of life and so they really focused on making sure that they kept it a nonpartisan um, organization And actually that's kind of what made us realize that we could be about nonpartisan um, and once again like in the few like some bills are going to Appeal more to a certain party to than the other like that's just gonna inevitably happen just with some of the ideas that maybe you're bringing up but That shouldn't be the focus, and that's kind of what the CCG does, my organization, is we look at, like, on the merits of the bill that we're presenting, is this going to be a good thing? And I think we really did learn that from the Sorensen Institute.
0: And do you know of any other students that have gone through the program that are, like, going out there, taking names and doing stuff?
1: So, yeah. So, when you go to Richmond, um, you get, there's, like, a Sorensen pin that... You all is get it, it like once a, you graduate. Is it like a secret society it's, type? It's literally just a little UVA rotunda column. But you put it on, legislators, tons of legislators in, in Virginia have graduated from, maybe not the high school leaders program, but from the emerging leaders program or from the college leaders program. So,
0: Like the other Sorensen Institute programs, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So we actually, I think one of our sponsors or co-sponsors, like, we bonded over the fact that we all went to Sorensen. I think she went to Sorensen as well, and um, there are definitely connections to be made when it comes to the Sorensen Institute. Like, we don't always flex them, but they're they're always there. And I mean, even just like Tom Walls here, like he's been one of our greatest supporters. Like, whenever we have a policy idea, we go to him and we talk about it with him, and his. His knowledge and his experience in Virginia politics and in national politics really gives you insight that you're not going to get going to really, we haven't found anywhere else. So um, Sorensen has been benefiting us since we've left.
0: Do you have any parting advice for potential students that want to join HSLP or are on the fence, maybe, about doing it?
1: Um... I, I'd say that you're going to learn things in the HSLP program that, frankly, I haven't even learned at university yet. That haven't been touched on at my, at my college. Um, and you're definitely not going to learn them in high school. So if you want to make change in whatever that looks like for you, um, I'd say that the high school leaders program is going to give you the means to do so. And it's also going to give you a great group of people to do it with. I have no regrets about doing the HSLP program, and um, honestly it's just great, like there's just really no other way to say it, it's just going to give you stuff that you're not going to learn anywhere else.
0: Policy writing is so important, and it gives citizens the opportunity to make the change that they want to see. And just to reiterate one of the really important points that Alex brought up, you can't change the world with one policy, but you can make incremental change. And those small changes all add up to helping change our community for the better. Something that I love about the HSLP program is that it informs politically engaged young people about how to navigate the bill-writing process. As you heard earlier, Alex and his colleagues, Lucas and Chitsu wouldn't have had the foundation to pass their bill without the guidance of the Sorensen Institute. Also, they were all 17 when they passed their first bill, which means they couldn't even vote yet. So if that doesn't show that anyone can be a public servant, I don't know what does. Applications for the HSLP program are open from... September to early November. So if you hear this podcast during that time frame and you know of someone who's a great candidate, go to SorensonInstitute.org to check out the application process. If you tune into our next podcast, I'll be interviewing Chitsu Tenzin about her personal experience with passing the mental health bill and the HSLP program. And thanks again for joining us on Intersections in Public Service. And there's a lot more where this came from. So if you want to take a listen to our other podcasts, you can visit the Weldon Cooper Center website or our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this or learned something new, please share this podcast with friends or family. Thanks again, and remember that anyone can be a public servant.